This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, before we get started, uh, I want to ask our producer, Robert Harris Jr. Robert, you around? Robert? Pull that Fergie audio if you can. You know, Fergie, the Black Eyed Peas. Anyway, if you can, pull her version of the national anthem from last weekend because, well, because it's a Hall of Fame show and it belongs in some kind of hall. I'm just not sure which one. Wow. I mean, that was so bad. I heard someone last week say it caused Colin, Colin Kaepernick to get off his knees and demand that she sing it straight. So, Goose, what happened? I mean, what happened? I thought she was better than that. Or maybe I was thinking of Fergie Jenkins. I don't know. Well, you give any of these high-profile singers a spotlight, and they'll want to sing their interpretation of the song. Hey, the song is fine as it is. Just sing the song. Yeah, I'm with you, especially that one. Um, it's funny. It was reminded me of uh, Renee Fleming at Super Bowl 48. That was so good, and this was so bad. So, Ron, bottom line here, and with the emphasis on bottom, Fergie or Roseanne, who's your first choice when it comes to the Star Spangled Banner Hall of Shame? Well, Roseanne, because uh, at least when Fergie's singing, I didn't have to close my eyes as well as my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be cruel or anything. Well, I think it's got to be Roseanne too. I mean, I was, I was there in 1990 when she lowered the bar in San Diego. Were you and there? Of course, that's you a, were there for that? I was there. Yep, I was there. And um, I've got it on tape. As a matter of fact, it is brutal. And of course, San Diego is a military town, and it was as memorable as it was a disgrace. And it made you wonder what were the Padres thinking? Of course, then you realized they weren't. Anyway, we haven't asked Roseanne on today, or Fergie, to give it another go. But we do have two returning guests. Each is a member of the Hall of Fame's class of 2018. That's Brian Urlacher and Robert Brazil. Both were elected just over two weeks ago, and both will be inducted this summer. We also have Hall of Fame voter Scott Garceau with us as our Best of the Rest series continues, this time with the Baltimore Ravens. And we'll sit down with NBC Sports area Ray Ratto to review the life and times of Raiders kicker and soon-to-be ex-kicker Sebastian Sebastianikowski. Goose, pretty good kicker. Here's all you need to know. Earl Ocker was a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was in the same draft class as Janikowski. Yeah, and a, and a good draft pick. Anyway, we have a lot to get to today, and we promise no more auditions in the National Anthem. We promise. First, we're going to cut to commercial. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, I see where Peyton Manning. Yeah, Peyton Manning's back in the news, and fortunately not oh. with another Brad Paisley. Perfect. You know, Goose, I think those are pretty funny. I thought they were, but boy, now enough already, right? You know, they're not so much funny anymore. Um, but apparently, uh, Peyton Manning has two networks. I think it's Fox and ESPN trying to lure him as an analyst. There's one rumor that has, I think, ESPN ready to overall its Monday night football broadcast team, including Sean McDonough, uh, if, it, if it can get Peyton Manning. Now, Goose, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that this is such a good idea. I mean, Peyton Manning, we've dealt with him, great guy and all that, and, and, and he does know how to run. Cut that Cut meat. Cut that meat. <laughs> but um, a great quarterback doesn't necessarily translate to a great analyst. And I don't know how forthcoming Peyton Manning could or, or, or would be in an unscripted environment. So I guess, Goose, what I'm going to ask you is, if, if you were Peyton Manning, 
Uh, he doesn't need the, the money, but if you were Peyton Manning, would you do it? No, first off, you're right. He doesn't need the money. And secondly, my guess is Peyton has a higher bar set for himself than a television analyst seat. Yeah. I, I right. think he'd like to one day run his own team. John Elway has done it, won a Super Bowl. John Lynch has become, begun the turnaround at the 49ers in his one season on the job. I think Peyton would want to remain an active part in the game and not sit in a booth talking about the game. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's a good point. And my guess, Ron, is that what they're trying to do here is they're trying to find the next Tony Romo. But, you know, I know of only one Tony Romo out there. I thought he was terrific this year. He's edgy. He's excited. But he's a very different guy than Peyton Manning. Oh, yeah, no, you're right about that, though. Um, but, you know, to be fair, who thought Romo would be as good as, as he turned out to be? I think probably nobody. Uh, uh, the one thing we know about Peyton, you know, he's got a good sense of humor and can be pretty self-deprecating. I think those things kind of play well. Uh, but the question I would have is, is, is can he not only be insightful, which I'm sure he can, but is, is he going to have that same excitement and involvement in the moment that Tony Romo is clear? I mean, it's... You listen to him, you say, that guy's having fun doing his game. And to me, that's yeah. the unanswered question because I think people like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's like listening to a kid. You know, Tony Romo's got so yeah. much excitement. I, mean, I like him a lot better as a broadcaster than I did as a quarterback. And he's a pretty good quarterback, but I like him as a broadcaster. I think he's terrific. Anyway, I, I guess we just have to stay tuned on this one. Um, in the meantime, Goose, Peyton Man is not the only quarterback we're talking about these days. Uh, it seems like we're talking about almost every quarterback out there. And I'll start with your guy. That'd be Michigan State alum, Kirk Cousins. Fortunately, we don't have the band queued up. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, But with Alex Smith going to the Redskins, um, Kirk Cousins is going somewhere, Denver, Jets, somewhere. Um, But the question is, where? I mean, he could be franchised, but, of course, that's costly. Plus, you're not going to pay two guys top dollar at the same position. Or the Redskins could do nothing and let him walk as a free agent, but (laughs) then they get nothing for him. So, Goose... What's next for your guy, Kirk Cousins, and who's first in line? Well, if I were Cousins, I'd look at Cleveland. they got some superb young pieces already in place, a boatload of high draft picks. Uh, you, you sign him, you can take a running back and a cornerback with two of your top five picks. You know, John Dorsey's now picking the players, and I think the Browns could have a fairly quick turnaround. But I think the most attractive situation for Cousins remains Denver. John Elway, as we know, is a terrific salesman. And it's a formula that's worked for the Broncos in the past, you know, with Peyton Manning. You know, he'll sell Cousins on the fact that Broncos are one player away, the quarterback, and the quarterback is him. Goose Man, if I was Kirk Cousins or his father, I would shoot anybody who suggested he go to Cleveland. <laughs> it's like Death Valley, man. I understand they got players, and, you know, they're bad, they appear to be a little better, but it just never seems to work there for the last, you know, since Otto Graham left. Um, so, I mean, the interesting thing to me is, is, is not only what he does, is what do the Redskins try to do? You know, I mean, they're, it's obviously they're pretty limited. Uh, you know, could they tag him and then the hope that they could get rid of him? Uh, if not, their whole team is bankrupt. Uh, but my guess is the Skins gambled and lost. They're going to get nothing. Uh, and what I wonder is, is the team is going to get him? Are they going to get nothing, too? The guy was 24-23-1 his last three years as a starter. Uh, he hasn't made the playoffs in two years. So I don't get it. What's the big excitement? Well, that's a good question. That's what I was going to ask you, Ron, honestly. I mean, do either of you think he's capable of taking a franchise to the next level? Because, frankly, I don't. I mean, he puts up big numbers. But, Ron, as you say, even that one loss record, pretty ordinary. I just don't know that he's got that what I call an it factor, which means I don't know that I gamble a gazillion dollars on him. No, I mean, in six years, he hasn't had it yet. You know, he's below 500 as a starter, 26-30-1. And it's not like he's a kid. You know, Bill Parcells always used to say, if they don't bite when they're puppies, they won't bite when they're big dogs. Well, he's a big dog. And if you sign him for big money and he turns out to be a dog dog, 
you are out of business for the next decade. So to me, that's I'd be worried about that if I was uh, a team ready to shell out, uh, you know, $150 million or whatever the number's going to be. And let me ask you this, Clark. Last December, did you think Nick Foles was capable of taking the Eagles to a Super Bowl? Did he have the it factor? You know, for most quarterbacks, take away Brady and Manning, those people, it's about the cast you put around him like the Eagles did Foles. You know, it's why franchises can win championships with Trent Dilfer's, Brad Johnson's, Mark Rippon's, Jeff Joe Flacco's, and Jeff Hostetler's. You know, if you can see Nick Foles holding up a Lombardi trophy, then you can see Kirk Cousins holding up one. Okay, well, there's another guy out there I find almost as intriguing, uh, and that's A.J. McCarron. Now, he, he is a free agent, thanks to the ruling of an arbitrator, and, and he's a guy, honestly, I always thought should have had a shot in Cincinnati, primarily because when he did, mm-hmm. took the Bengals to the playoffs, and, and he would have won a playoff game. Imagine that, a playoff game, were it not for some lapses down the stretch. Thank you, Adam Jones and Fontes Burfuck. Um That's the good news, but the, the bad is that he never beat out Andy Dalton for the job, so there must be something about him that's holding him back, but... I'll be honest with you, Goose. I didn't see it when he played because I thought he looked pretty good. Well, as we know, the backup quarterback always looks better than he is, and I bet you love Gary Quazzo with the Colts. Huh? I did love Gary Quazzo, <laughs> yeah, but I like the guy who started ahead of him more. I so love Nick Foles, but I like the guy who starts ahead of him more. And let's see how the contract plays out with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, enough teams are looking for quarterbacks that McCarron will likely find a starting job in 2018, but he's thrown 14 passes over the last two years. You know, if I'm going to gamble on a quarterback again, I'm going to gamble on Cousins, who's thrown passes, as opposed to McCarron, who's not. Okay. Hey, Goose, how about that quarterback coming to a city near you? That would be Austin for the Spring League. Johnny Mansell. Difference maker. (laughs) Well, that's the signal that we're not going to talk about a quarterback going to his next team, but about tight end Russ Francis going to the Hall of Fame, or at least getting into a Hall of Fame conversation. Ron Bohr just wrote about Russ this week on our website. That would be talkoffamenetwork.com, and he's here today to tell us what he likes about him. Russ Francis was once called the world's greatest tight end, by the voice that made Monday Night Football must-watch TV. But was Howard Cosell right? Certainly by today's standards, Francis' numbers argue otherwise. In a 13-year career, he caught 393 passes for 5,262 yards and 40 touchdowns. Those numbers were superior production in his day, but they pale in comparison to Tony Gonzalez, Jason uh, Widner, and Antonio Gates' numbers today. But if you look a little deeper into his career, between 1975 and 1988, those numbers tell a different story. Russ Francis had more catches for more yards and Hall of Fame tight end Dave Casper, John Mackey, and Charlie Sanders, and more touchdown receptions than both Mackey and Sanders. Of his Hall of Fame-worthy peers, which would be tight ends who played when they were blocking more often than running pass routes, only Mike Ditka was statistically superior. Maybe Francis wasn't the world's greatest tight end, as Coach Elbow claimed after a game against the Steelers when Francis collected 139 receiving yards, but he surely was among the greatest of his era. And how else should a man be judged? Factor in another statistic, rushing yards. In Francis' production during his first six years with the Patriots, uh, and those numbers are even more impressive. When Francis arrived in New England as a rookie in 1975, the Patriots were one of the league's most prolific running teams, finishing second in the league in 1976 and setting an all-time NFL single-season record for 3,165 rushing yards in 1978. This was not a team slinging the pigskin around the field. Yet despite that, Francis averaged 15.3 yards per catch during his seven years in New England, including 18.2 yards per reception his rookie year, when he got 35 balls for 636 yards and began to redefine the position. He was also a powerful blocker, as was required to succeed in New England or with Bill Walsh in San Francisco, where he arrived in 1982. He never fit the mold of an NFL lifer, however. Yet, when you look at him, you realize he lost the 1981 season because 
he was refused a bonus payment that he had earned by the Patriots. And he said, well, forget it. I quit. Sat out a year. Right in the prime of his career. So if he had played that season, his numbers matched Mike Ditka's. He's a three-time All-Pro, uh, a six-year starter in the 49ers, and a Super Bowl winner. What else is there? If he's not a Hall of Famer, he's pretty close. Yeah. Ron, quick question. Russ Francis yes, or Todd Christensen? Russ. Okay. Todd was just Thank a glorified wide receiver. Russ could block Thought you were going to make a case for Sebastian Janikowski, but no problem there because we're going to, <laughs> going to talk about him. Yeah, we're going to talk about Sebastian Janikowski and his legacy when we return with NBC Sports Bay Area columnist Ray Ratto. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but uh, the Oakland Raiders, yeah, the Raiders, they made news again. They've told Sebastian Janikowski, their kicker, uh, who didn't play last year, that, you know what, he's not going to play this year either. They're not going to retain him for 2018, which means that's probably it. One of the best and most extraordinary first-round draft picks for Al Davis and the Oakland Raiders. Now, to talk about it, we have one of our favorite and most extraordinary friends, colleagues, and curmudgeons with us. And that's columnist Ray Ratto of NBC Sports Bay Area. Ratman, thanks for joining us. What the hell do you want? <laughs> I want to talk about sea bass here, okay? So let's go to the menu. Uh, kicker, who's a first-round draft pick. And I was in the bear at the time. I remember critics ripping out when he made him, I think it was the 17th pick of the 2000 draft. But you know what? Worked out okay. I mean, he had two field goals of 60 or more yards in his career, three of 50 or more in one game, and just about every record kicking in Raiders history. Not too bad for a first-round draft pick and a kicker to stay with the same team for 18 years. Yeah, I think you have to go. You have to go a long way to find anybody quite like him. Um, I mean, Jason Hansen lasted a very long time in Detroit, right. but he didn't come with Janikowski's baggage. And when he was drafted, he was also not a first-round pick, but he was high, and it was it was. The, the Janikowski pick was sort of at the time when people were thinking that Al was losing it as a football mind, and I think this cemented it for a lot of people. And it took them at least a decade to say that it wasn't a bad pick, because while he was while while Janikowski was a home run, as kickers go, the team wasn't doing well. And I think there were people who always said, "Well, yeah, but you know, with that pick, he could have picked a." a an impact player who plays every down. And, you know, you find out later, at least in hindsight, that those days, there weren't enough of those. So that one pick wasn't going to make a lot of difference. And Janikowski was uh, an almost generational kicker. So, yeah, on balance, uh, Al gets the last laugh. So, Ray, who would you rather have standing there to kick a game-winning field goal for the Raiders from 45 yards out in the closing seconds? Janikowski? George Blanda or Arrow Man? Oh, gee, that's a tough one. Uh, Chris Barr. Uh, no, I mean Janikowski was a a remarkable example of a guy whose leg and technique 
overpowered all the things that shouldn't work for him, including the fact that he had a weird body, as kickers go. He kicked a lot of balls off infield dirt, even after that stopped being fashionable or even possible. And there was not a distance he he didn't turn down. Um, You know, he was, his range in his mind, I think, was probably 65 and in. And he never blanched. From, from any of it. You see, it's just tell me when. And between that and the fact that he sort of overcame sort of a spotty start, he had some legal issues that uh, it got his way. I think he uh, had a fondness for the drink that I think he had to fight. Uh, so he overcame a lot and still ended up probably the second or third best kicker of the last 20 years. I mean, that's a pretty impressive thing in any position. Ray, how would you say his teammates viewed him over time? I'm sure when he first came in, there were probably some guys looking sideways. Uh, but overall, did they realize the asset that he was, or did they look at him as like overrated Bigfoot? I think, well, to the extent that football players can look at kickers and accept them as one of theirs, that part, I think, that, that, that happened pretty quickly because I think he, he was always sort of a good teammate. Uh, and I think probably within about three or four years, they also recognized that he was an asset. So whatever, you know, whatever resentment they might have had about his draft position and maybe, you know, his, his sort of checkered past, I think that went away pretty quickly. I think uh, the further away you got from him, the harder it was, I think, to convince people. And then the geniuses who live across the country, you know, like I said, it, it took about a decade for them to get to get comfortable with the idea that a first-round pick on a kicker is not, by definition, the act of an idiot. Uh, but I think, by and large, his teammates took to him fairly early because he was sort of one of them. And I think he just didn't show up there, kick a few balls, and then call it a day. So I think in that way, he seemed like a Raider. And that was the best way for other Raiders to look at you. I mean, that, that was considered you know, the, the highest of compliments. Hey, Ray, when you're talking about those geniuses across the country, were you referring specifically to us? <laughs> well, I probably wouldn't use another G word, and I'll let you figure out what that is. But, <laughs> no, I think, I think there are a lot of pundits across the country who are predisposed to look at the, the results that the Raiders were putting up then and say, you know what? No, the, the, that thing is passed. Yeah. And other than the one three or four year blip with Gruden, it, it really had passed. But that was one of Al's most more inspired moments. And I think because there was a lot of animus toward Al, uh, especially latter Al, uh, that, you know, that Janikowski did not get his due quickly enough because he was sort of marked with the first round pick, Al Davis, Oakland? Nah. I mean, I, I think he suffered from that. I mean, he also suffered from, you know, his own demons, which he later conquered. But I think he was marked by the fact that, you know, kickers usually don't get a lot of respect. First night kickers, I mean, just, you know, people just blanch in horror at the concept. And the fact that, you know, he was doing, a, he was doing all this stuff on a, a series of mostly bad teams. So that he didn't have those really impactful moments that a lot of other guys did. And uh, as a result, I think even now, um, I, I think it'll be hard to get him in the Hall of Fame very soon, just because 
somebody has to say, okay, what was the signature moment that defines right. his career? Right. right. And some wise asses will say, oh, well, it was the 76-yard attempt that Lane Kiffin did the day before he got fired. You know, I mean, and that's not fair to Janikowski. I mean, yeah. he ran out, he, they, Kiffin sent him out, he, he kicked it. You know, I mean, it was, it was basically a death wish for the coach and used Janikowski as a prop. But there wasn't, like, any other real signature moments where you go, wow, he really impacted, you know, a season or, 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 or playoffs. Uh, you know, and again, that's also not his fault. He could only do what he was asked to do when he was asked to do it. He did it very well. So, Ray, I, I want to ask you, though, just following up on that, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. I mean, someone asked me one time, I think it was last year, is this guy going to the Hall of Fame? I said, no, no, he's, he's not. Yeah, though I'm not, I'll be honest, but I'm not sure anymore, given some of our recent decisions here. But um, I'm just wondering, 10 years from now, how do you think this guy is going to be remembered? You know, pretty good kicker, very good kicker. Um, how do you think they'll remember this guy? Um, you know, somebody who was special or somebody who was just, you know, he was decent? I mean, is no, there I, a distinction? I, I, Goose I, asked you about Errol Mann and some of these other people. I mean, is there a distinction? No, I, look, I think the, the only comparable is Jason Hansen. And I don't think anybody would say that Jason Hansen wasn't an exceptional kicker. Mm-hmm. I, because he was an exceptional kicker for basically his entire career. I think right. he probably could have kicked two more years. But, you know, I, I think I think Janikowski is in that field. Now, what works against him is the fact that the Raiders were brutal for a lot of his years. But... And I don't know that either of them will go to the Hall of Fame, but I think if Hanson goes, Janikowski should. Now, I'm not sure that either of them will, but I would say if, if one goes, the other should, and they're both worthy of discussion. Ray, in, two, in 2000, the Raiders had six draft picks. Al used a third of his picks on kickers. And 18 years later... Only three players are left from the draft, Tom Brady and those two kickers, Janikowski and Shane Leckler. So why did you criticize that when he took two kickers? Um, well, because a kicker's impact is defined very largely by what the team, what his, what the team around him is doing. And the only criticism that you can make of Janikowski or Leckler is that they didn't get to impact a lot of big games because, again, they were on a lot of bad teams. And I think that minimizes the value of, of place kicking, and it makes punting an endurance sport rather than a, yeah. a, a, a sport about touch and field position. So I, I think in a lot of ways those guys are colored by you know, the record around them that really they had nothing to do with. Greatest draft in special teams history. Well, and consider that it would have been even better had Brady laid out for that ball. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ray, did you ever consider the possibility that Al took uh, Janikowski because he knew very deep inside of the Jamarcus Russell kind of pick? (laughs) He just said, I'll just take the kicker. I'll take the kicker because I know he can kick. Um, at that point, I wouldn't put serious money on anything Al would or wouldn't do. <laughs> um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, those two picks were so outside the norm that you, you would almost have to say just reflexively, that's crazy. 
And the only way that it turns out that they're not crazy um, is the fact that they were both so good at what they did. I mean, Leckler was sort of Ray Guy for the next generation for a, for a number of years. I mean, he was a genuine weapon. Ray Ratto, thanks so much for the time. Loved it. Always enjoy <laughs> visiting with you. <laughs> thanks, Ray. Seriously, you guys ought to lay off the drugs. Why? <laughs> got to do this more often, Ray. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Ray. That was Ray Ryder of NBC Sports Bay Area. Up next is Hall of Famer Brian Erlacher. That'd be class of 2018. You'll listen to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as you no doubt know by now, there were three first ballot inductees among this year's Hall of Fame class, and we have one of them with us today. Former linebacker Brian Urlacher was with us, I think it was about a month ago, to talk about what might be then. And you know what? He's back today to tell us what is and was mm-hmm. And he is now a Pro Football Hall of Fame member. Brian, congratulations, and thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for having me on again. You know, kind of get the before and after, I guess, to see what, uh, <laughs> what was going on then and what's going on now. We call it a victory well, lap. Yeah, um, I, I've seen the video, okay? I've seen the video. So if you can, give us the Cliff Notes version of what happened that Saturday, February 3rd in Minneapolis. I mean, what was it like? How tough was the wait? I realize this was your first time, but was there anxiety there? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what did you feel once you heard that pounding on the door by David Baker? Yeah, you know, the, the whole time, the whole process leading up to Minneapolis, I really wasn't nervous. I wasn't, I didn't have a feeling on on whether I was going to get in or not. I just didn't have any kind of feel whatsoever, you know. Probably like a lot of the guys, you just don't know what to expect, uh, especially your first time. But as Saturday got closer, and especially that morning and the afternoon, man, the nerves were, were clicking. I don't know. I, I'm not a nervous guy normally, but for some reason that day, um, when we got back to the room around 2.30, we ate lunch, and, and then we went back to the room. And then at God, about 3, I started getting, you know, you're supposed to be ready for the honors by a certain time, so I started getting dressed and then just waited. 3.30 got there, nothing, 4, nothing. And then finally about, I think, 4.17 or 18, finally, the beating on the door. And, man, when you said pounding on the door, you were right. David Baker <laughs> knocks that door down. There is no doubt. It's not, it's not housekeeping. It's not a – there's no doubt who's beating on your door when, uh, when he comes to your door. How would you like to have taken him on if he were a blocker? <laughs> I would have just made a mess. <laughs> well, he plays basketball, but, but I would have tried to get out of his way or make him miss or get him off out stuff. But he's he's a big, he was one of the nicest. Well, that was the first time I'd ever seen David in person. The first time I met him in person. So, you know, you I've seen clips of that stuff before, but just to meet him in person and see how big he is. And you know, the thing I remember the most is how good he smelled <laughs> when I gave him a hug. So so good. I was like, oh, buddy, what's up? So, uh, yeah, it was just, just a great, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was on the right side of it this time because I've heard stories the other way. So it was uh, nice to get in this year. Brian, we, we'd never voted two middle linebackers in the same class. So my question is, mm-hmm. were you surprised that they would also put Ray Lewis in there with you? Um, 
Yes and no. I'll say that because there's also two receivers going in this year, and it's yeah. hard to do as well. And so I guess I don't really, I don't know the history of how many guys get in first ballot, how many receivers don't get in first ballot. I don't know the history of it, but I know that I always felt like if you're a good enough player to get in there on your first try, it shouldn't matter who's going in against you. It shouldn't matter who's on the on the ballot. If the voters feel like you're good enough to go in, then you should go in. That, that's that, that's my feeling on it. I think. Um, you know, Ray's a great player. I felt like I was a pretty good player myself. Brandy was great. So it, it was nice that we all three got in at the same time. Um, and then Dawkins, I mean, I, I feel like he should have got him his first time as well. It's, just, it's so hard because there's so many good players on those ballots. You look at, and I told someone this other day, I said, take the five modern era guys that got in this year off, off the ballot. Pick five more. That's a great class. Yeah, you pick right. five of the guys, five of the ten guys that are left on there, and that's a pretty good class too. So it's just hard to differentiate who, who gets in and who doesn't get in. Now, when we talked to you uh, about a month ago, Brian, uh, and we asked you Super Bowl ring or gold jacket, and initially you said the ring, but then you said you started to reconsider yeah. after talking to your wife. So, what do you say now? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's still hard to say. I really wanted that ring so bad when I played. Um, but my wife, like I said, also said that, you know, there's a lot of guys who have rings who didn't play in the game, who didn't, you know, they were on, uh, they played five plays with special teams or whatever. So it, it makes sense both ways, but I still love to have that ring. And I'm, I'm very honored to be in the, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, man, just the, the accomplishment, you know, of, of winning a ring was, was always something I wanted. We're speaking with Hall of Fame linebacker Brian Erlacher class of 2018 on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at Talk of Fame Net. And, Brian, if I told you that you could send a limo to anyone, but one person, anyone, or persons, most responsible for getting you to Canton, the one guy, the one woman, um, the most responsible for getting you there, who would you go get? My mom. That's a, that's a pretty simple answer for me right there. My mom, my mom passed away in 2011. Um, but, man, so um, she, my, we, my parents divorced when I was seven, six, seven years old. My mom took us to New Mexico. Single mother, three kids, three young kids. My brother and sister and I are all a year apart. I'm in the middle. And um, my dad didn't pay a lot of child support, if any. So she took us there. She worked three jobs to make sure we were fed, clothed, with the school. Um, just the... Just one of the hardest working people I've ever met, you know. Um, but that's obviously this is before she met my stepfather and he helped out with her, everything. But my mom busted her tail for us kids. So um, she she's who I learned a lot of my work ethic from. I feel like um, whether it be in the weight room or on the field or whatever, um, she's who I learned the most from just from watching her. Brian, you've had so many accolades: Pro Bowls, All Pro teams, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Player of the Year, All Decade. What which of those accomplishments? is most meaningful? I was thinking about it the other day. That's a good question. Um, the defensive player of the year is really cool. And you know what's funny? I, I feel like I should have won it or, or, or whatever in 2006. I thought I had a better year than 2005. <laughs> and I think I got second or third in the voting that year. But the all-decade team to me is really cool. You know, there's some great players in, in my era that, that I played against and played alongside. So I believe that that's the one that really stands out in my mind is the 2000s all-decade team. Hey, Brian, oh, Brian, I want to jump in here. Help. I want to ask you one question here. You know, you mentioned your mom. Okay. Um, yes. Did she, did she get to see you play a lot in Chicago? And, and did she, I mean, do you feel as if you, got, you gave something back by 
being the player and the guy that you were. In other words, that she raised you and you were so successful yeah. as, a, as a person, as a player, that um, you gave something back to your mom. Definitely. She saw me play a bunch. You know, uh, she saw my, my whole career up until my last year. And, you know, it's funny, the, the last game she saw me play, we played Atlanta at Soldier Field. I had a pick, I had a sack, I had a recovery fumble, and a touchdown. So she, she passed away two days later. So to oh. to know that she saw me play one of my very best games uh, before she passed away meant a lot to me. And also, um, you know, she and you said all those things as a you know being a good player, a hard worker. But more importantly to me and her, I think was being a good father. You know, I think that was important to me, important to her, and how she raised me to be with my kids uh, meant a lot to her. I think that I have a lot to to her to thank a lot for for being the type of. I feel like I'm a pretty good dad. So that's the way uh, she raised me to be. You know, one of the things, Brian, that we always sort of wonder about after the, the class gets announced is uh, who's going to present each individual guy. And, and a lot of times it's, you know, it's kind of easy to tell, but so a lot, many other times it isn't. Have you given that much thought? Do you know who it's going to be and is, is someone that perhaps will surprise people? I'm giving it a bunch of thought. You know, I've, I've got down and nailed down three guys. It's uh Greg Blosh, who was my first defensive coordinator when I came into the NFL for my first four years. Lovey Smith, who I played for in Chicago for nine years. And my linebacker coach for all those years, Bob Babbage. Those are the three guys who had the biggest influence on my pro career. You know, they uh, just the different love, different times in my career they came in. Uh, so those are the three guys I've got narrowed down to. How are you going to make a decision? Flip a coin? How do you do it? You yeah. <laughs> yeah do you I have no idea. That, I really wish I knew. I wish I could do all three. I don't like that. I can't pick them all. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's going to be a tough decision. I'll have to talk to all three of them, see what they say. And, you know, all three of them are going to be like, oh, yeah, whatever you want. You know, they don't either way. They're, I think they'll be awesome. They'll be happy to be considered, in my, in my opinion. Hey, Brian, you remember when we were talking to you about a month ago, I, I think I said to you, uh, Aaron Rodgers said you were a first ballot Hall of Famer before you actually were a first yeah. ballot Hall of Famer. Um, have you heard from him? H have you been in touch with him? Has he been in touch with you and told you anything or said anything? No, I haven't talked to him. Um, I have not spoken to him. I haven't seen him. I think he was here in Arizona for the uh, golf tournament yeah. before the announcement came out. I didn't see him. We were supposed to be in an event together. I ended up not going. My daughter got sick, so we couldn't go. But I haven't seen him since um, since the announcement, so no, I haven't spoke to him. Is anyone unusual or, or extraordinary, someone you didn't expect to hear from who's gotten in touch with you? Not really. You know, it's amazing. Um, I got a couple numbers I didn't recognize, <laughs> you know, but they were from players in the Hall of Fame. You know, they're like, oh, welcome to the class. We're, we're, we're glad you're a member. You know, it's numbers, people that, that are already in the Hall of Fame that, uh, that reached out to me and said congratulations. Brian, to a, to a man, people we've talked to that have gone in have said the Hall of Fame is a life-changing experience. How has your life changed, and how do you think it will change going forward? It hasn't changed anything to this point. I'm still, I still do the same things I did before I got in. Um, I don't see my day-to-day -day life changing. I think the demand on my time will, will change in the future if I let it. You know, I think now that you, know, you have that, that label on you and, and you've you kind of gotten to that, you know, the pinnacle of, of football greatness, you... Um, People are going to want to be around you more and want you to do more things. So I think the, just the demand of my time will change more in the future. Now, one of the things, of course, you have to do uh, at some point is, is sit down and pose uh, for the sculptor who's going to do your bust. Do you, have you gotten any information yet about that, how that works, and, and you're sort of looking forward to sitting in one spot and not moving for three days while he, 
Well, he tries to do. <laughs> yeah. They uh, they do that pretty. You know, we've already got our measurements. We did that at our orientation on Monday after uh, the Super Bowl. We did that, and then we'll sit down uh, down again with them. I think for a day uh, to go over the final uh, touch-ups. I guess uh, at some point before August what fourth or fifth, whatever day that is. So they'll um, they'll make sure it looks good, and they they want us to see the final the finished product before they um, unveil it at the uh, ceremony. Hey, Brian, I, I also know when we spoke to you last time, I was talking to you about the litany of great middle linebackers in the history of the Chicago Bears. And we went from George to Butkus to Singletary. But now we go to Erlacher. I mean, now we've got four Hall of Famers there. And I don't know if that strikes you as anything different now than it did when we spoke about four weeks ago. Because when we were talking then, there were three of them. And then there's Brian Erlacher. Yeah. I knew that you were going to get in at some point. But now... When they talk in Chicago about the great middle linebackers, you're one of them. I mean, they're going to talk all the time, but, but yeah. they're going to say, this guy was a Hall of Famer. You know what? He's right there with the Singletary's, right there with the Butkus's, right there with the Georges. Yeah, you know, in my whole career, I kind of tried to fend off that question, if I could, about comparing myself to those guys. The media always want to talk about it, and I always want to try to get my media to compare myself to them. And I, it, was, it was not fair to them for me to compare myself to them because I don't feel like I was in there. I didn't feel like I was in the category while I was playing, if that makes sense. I just didn't want to disgrace them by, by putting myself in their category when I had no right to. But now, you know, now after, you know, I'm, I'm in the same class they're in, we're all in the Hall of Fame. It's a little easier for me to stomach talking about it and, and you know, comparing myself to them, not numbers wise, not how we play, just, you know, where we ended up. And that's all of us are in the Hall of Fame. Brian, have you heard from Butkus or Singletary? I have not heard from Dick. I saw Mike at the, uh, you know, Dick didn't come around much. I never saw him when I played either. I saw him at events here and there. But I did see Mike a few times when I played. And um, I saw Mike uh, Saturday at the Honors. And I also saw him Saturday evening. My family and I were having dinner at the hotel. And he and his wife were in there, and he came and said hi. So it was nice to, it's always nice to see guys you looked up to, especially guys who played before you, the position you played in the city you played in. So it was nice to, to talk to him a little bit and, Congratulations. Brian Erlacher, I'm going to tell you this. It was not so damn boring to watch you play. You were a joy to watch <laughs> play. Congratulations again. Thanks for the time. And Thank we'll you. The summer in Canton. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You Thanks, got it, Brian. Thank you. That was Hall of Famer Brian Erlacher. Up next, it's the two-minute drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, Robert, uh, tell that guy over there to blow the whistle, would you? We have to get rolling here. That's the two-minute warning. Thanks. That means we're on to the two-minute drill, and we're in a hurry. So let's roll, guys. Okay. Oklahoma All-American Baker Mayfield says he won't attend the NFL draft. Should anybody care? The team that drafts him in the first round. Nope. I don't remember Tom Brady attending any draft. All of Fame General Manager Bill Polian said this week on the ESPN he thinks Heisman Trophy winning Louisville quarterback Lamar Jackson should consider becoming an NFL wide receiver because he lacks size and throwing accuracy. Have we heard this one before? Michael Vick lacks size and throwing accuracy. He still was the first overall pick in this draft. Meet Doug Flutie. John Fox went 14-34 and 34 as the Bears head coach before being fired this year. He says they are closer than people think. Closer to what? To that 15th victory that Fox found so elusive. <laughs> to Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Did Josh McDaniels do the right thing by doing the Colts wrong? A man is only as good as his word. McDaniels' word is no longer any good. 
You tell me. Whom would you rather have as your quarterback? Andrew Luck or Tom Brady? Frank Wright, the right man to write Andrew Luck's career? A trip to Lourdes may be a better solution. <laughs> Only if he's an orthopedic surgeon. The Jets reportedly are ready to pay, quote, whatever it takes, unquote, to sign Kirk Cousins. What would it take to convince Cousins to sign with them? A Jimmy Garoppolo contract. A lifetime of free pizzas at Lombardi's in Brooklyn. <laughs> Very good. Patriots co-captain Devin McCourty said this week the whole team knew Malcolm Butler wasn't going to play in the Super Bowl. So what was Butler crying about? The fact that his coaches believe Eric Rowe was an upgrade at the position. That he wasn't going to Disney World. Would New England have beaten the Eagles? A Butler who played 98% of the defensive snaps this year, been at cornerback? Only if he could have been effective on the corner blitz and put some pressure on Foles that his teammates couldn't. Nope. Can't win if Brady doesn't play defense too, Ron. Tim Tebow is back in the Mets minor league camp. Will he have a better baseball career than he had a football career? He'd have to make the playoffs and win a game to do that. Not unless he hits 500. Remember, he was 8-6 and six as a pro. That's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are. We're going to sit down with Hall of Famer Robert Brazil in hour number two and continue with our best of the rest series. That's coming up right here on the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to hour number two of the Talk of Fame Network, where in the next 60 minutes, you're going to hear from one of the latest Hall of Fame members, and that's senior inductee Robert Brazil, also known as Dr. Doom, one of the greatest nicknames of all time. Um... Because we had the other senior in Trinity, that'd be Jerry Kramer on last week, that was only fair to hear from Robert and get his thoughts on making it to Canton. Plus, how many times can you say Dr. Doom and not get tired of it? It's a great nickname. But before we do, Goose, I, I know you and I addressed Larry Fitzgerald a week ago on this program, and, and that was because he shot the lights out. Remember at Pebble Beach where he won the Pro-Am tournament? I think there was something like 41 under. Um, and he was the first ex-pro athlete to do it in 30 years or since Dan Marino. But he's back in the news again, and, and this time saying he's going to return for another season. And you know what? All I can say is hallelujah. I mean, if you need a reason to watch the cards, to me, he's a good reason to watch him. Yeah, he is a football player. That's what he does. He's one of those guys you're going to have to tear the jersey off. He caught 109 passes last season, so there's still plenty of gas left in the tank. Now, if he catches another 100 this year, he'll pass Tony Gonzalez as the second most prolific receiver in history. So there is statistical incentive for him to return. Can you say first ballot Hall of Famer? Come Ouch. <laughs> hey, Ron. Ron, I know you weren't with us last week, but I told Goose uh, that some national writers said Randy Moss and Terrell Owens were among the two or three best wide receivers in the history of the NFL. Apparently, he had forgot that history goes back farther than 30 minutes. So we both agreed that given the choice, we take Larry Fitzgerald ahead of both of them. How about you? Yeah, well, I would say so. And, uh, and uh, you know, I picked up the Hall of Fame book that we get every year, the guide, and I looked up wide receivers, and I started with the A's, and I only had to get to B, which is the second name, to find two guys better than those two guys. <laughs> so I think that uh, this is crazy. And frankly, if the three of us were starting the team and we had – pick between those two guys and Larry Fitzgerald, who do you think we'd pick? Yeah, yeah exactly Larry right. 
Yeah, yeah he plays when he plays. Uh, another silver lining, Ron, to, to his playing. He plays um, when the team plays, Clark, unlike those yeah, other guys. <laughs> that, well, that's right. That's right. And he's not a distraction or divisive influence in the uh, locker room. Um, and he likes his quarterbacks. <laughs> um, but as long as he has announced his retirement, uh, we don't have – you know, legions of people stepping up to call him the greatest ever. You know, not since, not yet anyway, but since he's playing. I mean, no one's saying that. And, and look, I think he's one of the best and classiest I've seen. But anybody remember Rice, Allworth, Hudson, Barry, Warfield, Ron, anyone? If he's four-team All-NFL, there's no shame in that. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. Up next, it's Dr. Data and our President's Week Mount Rushmore of, well, you can see. It's the Talk Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey, uh, Gooseman, I'd like to thank you, by the way, for forwarding me that website. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, I've never heard of it, but it ranked the all-time 20 greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yes, sir. It had Otto Graham, went to 10 straight championship games, won seven. Have him ranked 19th, just behind Ben Roethlisberger. And John Unitas, who I think we all put at numero uno, they had him ranked 8th. They also had Warren Moon in the top 10. So, Goose, thanks for ruining my week. <laughs> you know, Clark, the latest is the greatest. Get with the program. God almighty, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I saw a poll, guys. Ron, I saw a poll on Twitter where you could rank Aaron Rodgers as either one, the greatest quarterback of all time, or two, one of the five best of all time. Those are your two choices. So, you know what I wrote? I wrote in and I said, I rank him number three all time. I ranked him number three all time. That is, number three on the Packers behind Brett Favre and Bart Starr. Yeah, exactly right. Some people tell you, what about Cecil Isbell, who was throwing all those balls at Donald? Oh, my. <laughs> Unreal. I know. Well, anyway, anyway, I'm getting too fired up here. Let, let, let's, let's go back to that Larry Fitzgerald conversation we just had in the previous segment. Because in, in case you didn't know it, this is President's Week. We had President's Day the other day. And we put our greatest presidents out Mount Rushmore somewhere in the Black Hills of South Dakota. That's uh, that's Rocky Raccoon. Anyway. Um, and and then, then we're asked to put our greatest coaches and our quarterbacks on our own Mount Rushmore's. But, but we're not going to do that here today, guys. I, I want to acknowledge the fact that we have two wide receivers, two, going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2018, including one who said he changed the game. And, and ask you to construct your own Mount Rushmore of wide receivers. Now, keep in mind, dude, you're going to start here. Because it's Mount Rushmore, it can only be four. Let's hear it. Jerry Rice, Lance Allworth, Don Hudson, and Paul Warfield. Like it. Like it. Ron? Wow. Great minds think identically alike. It's unbelievable. Who are smoother than those four guys? I mean, what great players. Yep. Well, I like it, but that's not my four. So I guess I'm not one of those great minds. This one's easy for me. It's, it's Jerry Rice, Lance Allworth, Don Hudson, and Raymond Berry. And Raymond Berry, I never saw Oh, boyhood heroes. Uh, the yeah. boyhood heroes. Cold, cold, I think he, he dropped, what, one pass in his career, and uh, he played when this team wanted to play. Guess what? He played when the team wanted to play. Won some championships, too. Um, I'll line up against any defense in any era with those guys, and you know what? I'll win. But why should we stop there? Because, as you know, we had Brian Urlacher on here in the first hour. We have two middle linebackers going into the hall this summer at the same time. So because, as that great philosopher and friend of yours, Gooseman, Todd Rundgren, Todd is God, he once said, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. I believe that. So let's try the same drill here. Your Mount Rushmore of middle linebackers. And Goose, we'll start with you. Dick Butkus, Willie Lanier, Joe Schmidt, 
and Mike Curtis, four guys who played Whoa. with attitude. A Colt, you have to like that pick, a Colt. Whoa, I, I love that pick, but man, I didn't see that one happen. Was that for the tackle, the fan that ran out in the field? He would be uh, security <laughs> for the other three guys. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be number one number one security guy. How about you, Ron? I thought that was you who ran out in the field, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> I knew better because I knew what he'd do to me. <laughs> uh, my four are pretty similar. Uh, Butkus, Willie Lanier, Joe Schmidt, and my fourth is Les Richter. Oh, Somebody nice. said Les Richter. Well, let me tell you quickly about Les Richter. You tell me the other middle linebacker who never missed a game, went to the Pro Bowl every year he played but his final one, and who had an entire side of the ball, 11 players traded to get him, which the Rams did in 1952 to get his rights when he came out of Cal, knowing that he couldn't play for two years because he had to go into the military. Anybody want to trade no. 11 players for Jack Lambert? Nope. And Ron, the year he didn't make the Pro Bowl, he moved to center Correct. For, for the team. He didn't play middle linebacker. So every year he played middle linebacker, he went to the Pro Bowl. No, hey, Ron, let me play devil's advocate here. If, if that's the case, and he's that bulletproof, yeah. why did it take him so long getting the Pro Football Hall of Fame? <laughs> beat the hell out of me. And from what I was told, it beat the hell out of him. He didn't understand. <laughs> just, but he was yeah. a mean guy uh, and not the most popular guy in the world back in the day when football was a mean game. And I think right. that uh, Frank Gifford told me that really, who was a friend of his going all the way back to when they were kids in Bakersfield. Uh, but he said he thought that really worked against him uh, for a lot of years. And then he got yeah. forgotten. Yeah, well, it took him too long. Um, my four, I'm going Butkus, 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 and Butkus. Um, <laughs> Good no. choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going Butkus, Schmidt, Lanier. Those are the three you guys had, I think. And Jack Lambert. Um, latest, definitely not the greatest with me or with any of us. Um, that's not to denigrate a guy like Ray Lewis and Brian Erlacher, um, both outstanding players, but didn't make my or your Mount Rushmore's. Speaking of votes, guys, we run a weekly poll on our website. That'd be talkoffamenetwork.com. Last week, that poll didn't have anything to do with wide receivers or linebackers, but it was centered on free agents. That would be this year's prospective free agents. And we didn't want a Mount Rushmore. We wanted the best, the most attractive, the free agent you think is the most marketable. And the winner, Goose, was... Pick a pass rusher, any pass rusher, Demarcus Lawrence, who finished as the NFL runner-up with 14 and a half sacks a year ago. If Dallas doesn't slap a franchise tag on him, he'll become a very rich man this offseason. Wait a second. Demarcus Lawrence, Dallas, you put the poll together. You stuff in that ballot box, Goose? <laughs> Let me say this. There are a lot of hanging chads, and we're still waiting on our <laughs> old friends from the NFL office, Joe Brown and Greg Aiello, for that official <laughs> count. Well, who's your pick? I mean, if you had to pick, who would you pick? Kirk Cousins, Spartan. Best Spartan in the marketplace. <laughs> Strike up the ban. Okay, Ron, if you had to pick, who would you pick? Well, I have to say, Cousins, but only because he's a quarterback, and you know he's going to get stupid money. Uh, you know, Lawrence is going to get paid, too, but not like Kirk Cousins. No, no. Right. Um, well, okay, the difference that, is Lawrence that. is worth the money. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I think I, I, I think you asked me, because then I could pick Ziggy Ansah, just because yeah. pass, rusher, pass rusher, I think he's a, um, yeah, an impact player. Um, but, yeah. Cousins going to get the, the money. Um, maybe those guys get franchised. I don't know. Anyway, that poll's over. Um, and there's a new one on our website this week. That website would be talkoffamenetwork.com. And the polls are open. You can vote. Goose, you want to tell us about it? Yes. In honor of the Ravens signing Grey Cup MVP DeVere Posey this month, we're asking who was the best NFL player ever to come out of the CFL. And I think you'll find some surprising names on that list. There's an NFL MVP a Super Bowl MVP, and a Hall of Famer, in fact. 
You know, guys, I don't know who that who's going to win it, but I can tell you who had the greatest headline ever written to come out of the CFL in the NFL when the St. Louis Cardinals signed a quarterback. The headline was, Cards make merry over Sam Edgeberry. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'll tell you something else pretty good. Dr. Data. Yeah, that signal you just heard? That means Dr. Data, a.k.a. Rick Goslin, has got something on his mind. And Goose, let's see what you got. We just touched on it briefly. Christmas could come in March for Demarcus Lawrence and Ziggy Ansa. Both are pass rushers and potentially are free agents this offseason. And the NFL marketplace loves its pass rushers. The game played on Sunday afternoons is won and lost in the pocket, either at the hands of the quarterback or the hits that quarterback takes from pass rushers. That places a premium on those defenders in the front four. In 2015, Pro Bowl tackle Ndamukong Sue signed the richest contract and free agency. Six years, $114 million, with $60 million of it guaranteed. In 2016, ends Malik Jackson and Olivier Vernon signed the two biggest deals in free agency. Both received contracts paying them $85 million over five years. Vernon received $52 million in guaranteed dollars. Jackson, $42 million. And in the last offseason, Calais Campbell was a top edge rusher in the market. He received a $60 million contract over four years from the Jaguars with $30 million of it guaranteed. If you can tackle the quarterback, you can become a rich man in the NFL, which brings us back to Lawrence and Ansa. Lawrence finishes the NFL runner-up, 14 and a half sacks last season for the Cowboys. Ansa collected 12 himself for the Detroit Lions. And for all the offense we saw in the Super Bowl, the biggest play of the game was a strip stack by Eagles pass rusher Brandon Graham on Tom Brady in the final three minutes. The world knew Brady would drive the Patriots down the field for the winning touchdown, but not if he didn't have the football, and that's where that pass rush came in. Those pass rushers, those difference makers, get paid. Lawrence and Anselm will be paid as difference makers this offseason. So, Gooseman, do these guys finally get into the quarterback dollar market, or is that still a gap that they can never close? No, if, if, if Sue couldn't get there, I mean, he was he was the best on paper, the best phrase to come up in years, and he, he didn't he didn't get to the quarterback money. We're talking about Garoppolo. I think these guys will get good money, but I don't think either one of them gets to $100 million. Well, he may have not gotten to the quarterback, but we're going to commercial. We're going to get to an ad, yes, right now. When we return, we're going to hear from Hall of Fame voter Scott Garso. You'll listen to the Talk of Fame Network. Well, a couple weeks ago, we started our Best of the Rest series, where we sit down with a Hall of Fame voter from each city and hear from him or her who are the best players or coaches or owners not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame from their teams, the teams they cover. We started alphabetically, and three weeks into this, we're at the B's, at Baltimore, to be exact. And we're glad to have with us a longtime friend of mine, Hall of Fame voter and the original voice of the Baltimore Ravens, Scott Garceau, who has a weekly afternoon radio show on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with this esteemed crew you've assembled there, Clark. <laughs> well, let me remind you, it's Rick and Ron, so you may want to change that. <laughs> okay, all right. It's good to be with you guys, then. <laughs> That's much better. Okay, uh, Scott, you know the drill. I mean, we'd like to start the conversation with you telling us which player, and, and please, let's excuse Ed Reed from the conversation, because we know he's going in, and, and probably next year when he's eligible. Anyway, we'd like to start the conversation, which player... Which Raven, not in the Hall, should be there one day? So whom would you nominate? 
Yeah, well, he's not he's not el- <clears throat> excuse me not eligible yet, but um, I think the, the career that Terrell Suggs is putting together certainly makes him worthy. He's in the top twenty in sacks already, uh, and the interesting thing, he's played fifteen years, and he's not tailing off. He was double-digit sacks again this year. I think he has four, over 40 sacks in his last four years. So here's a guy that normally you'd think, well, kind of winding down. He's still playing. He made the Pro Bowl this year, and he acted like it was the first time he made it instead of the seventh. So um, I, I think the resume is there. Rookie Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And another interesting thing with Suggs is big in the big games. I think he's third all-time in the NFL in postseason sacks with 12 and a half. So he's come up big in big games. Uh, He's not a one-trick pony. He's not just an edge rusher. He's tough against the run. I think uh, he's had a real complete career, and I think he's certainly Hall of Fame worthy. Now, let's say he moves up, uh, plays another couple of years, moves up on the all-time sack list. Now, you saw Ray Lewis, first ballot. Ed Reed, probably going to be a first ballot. Do you think Terrell Suggs is a first ballot Hall of Famer? You, you know, I, I think he's in the conversation, Rick. I, I can't say he's he's a, he's a cinch like Ogden or uh, hopefully Ed Reed and, and Ray Lewis was this year, but I, I think he gets that kind of consideration. I, I mentioned the sack numbers. He's one behind Derek Thomas. He's two behind Ricky Jackson. He's seven behind LT. So uh, he could add 10, 15 to that and be top 10 all-time in sacks. And, yeah. and, I, and I think the case you really make for him, He's a two-way player. I mean, he is excellent against the run. Uh, it, I would say in the second half of his career, he's become a real leader. Uh, as a young guy, he was kind of a character, but he was, you know, he was a little bit loosey-goosey. Uh, he, he's as he's got to be an elder statesman. He's really become a leader for the younger guys. Takes great care of himself. Uh, he had some issues with that. I think when he's younger in the year, a couple times in the off season, he'd show up out of shape and play himself into shape. But you, you don't play 15 years at the level he has without taking care of yourself. And he's also come back from two Achilles injuries. Well, Scott, here's my uh, uh, my question about uh, Tell Suggs uh, when you're going to make the case for him. Um, he played nearly the entire decade of the 2000s. And he didn't make the all-decade first team, nor the all-decade second team. Um, how many Hall of Fame uh, defensive ends, pass rushers, do you really think exist in any decade? Does averaging, you know, eight sacks a season, which is about what it is, uh, over 15 years, qualify? I mean, it to me that jumps out at me a little bit. He was there for nearly that whole decade, and uh, yeah, you know, didn't even make the second team. Well, I, I would think this would be his decade, right? If it, I think he came in in 03, and, and I'd have to look and see, you know, who, who we selected at that point. But um, from 10 through 18, uh, 12 was a Super Bowl winning season. As I said, 40, over 40 sacks over the last four years. So he isn't, he isn't papering off where, you know, it's five sacks, two sacks, one sack the last three years. And I think when we look at this decade, I think he's going to get strong consideration, and this might be his, his 10 years where he winds up on the all-decade team. Two-time All-Pro, one-time first team, I think one-time second team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not LT, he's not Ray Lewis, 
but damn, that, that, that's been 15 pretty productive years. Yeah. yeah, not many people are LT or Ray Lewis. Um, we're speaking with Hall of Fame voter Scott Garceau on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Scott, let's move on to another Hall of Fame-worthy candidate, and it's a guy I feel pretty strongly about, and I know you do as well because you've presented him before, but he's a polarizing candidate, and unfortunately he may be a guy that never gets in, and that's former owner Art Modell. Any feeling within the Ravens for Art Modell or any feeling with you on Art Modell? Oh, I, I, I've got a strong feeling that um, we all know why he's not in. It's, it's the move. I think if you look at his body of work, uh, not, not only is the Browns owner, but what he was involved with with the league, uh, so many different areas where he was a contributor and at times did things that maybe weren't best for the Browns but were best for the league. And how many times have we heard it in the room, guys, uh, could you write the history of the NFL without this person, this player, this coach? Uh, you, you'd have a hard time writing it without mentioning Art Modell. And, and I think when I presented him last time, I'd researched, and I thought the number was up around 40% of the owners that were in the Pro Football Hall of Fame had moved a team at some point. Right. Now, granted, they weren't as controversial as Art's, mo- Art's moved to Baltimore, or maybe as the Ursays moved to Indianapolis, because maybe in the earlier years of the league, it wasn't it wasn't quite as earth shattering when somebody moved. If the Cardinals went from Chicago to St. Louis, the you know the Bidwell family. But um, I, I sure hope that as as time passes and and some of the angst uh, with some of the voters changes that perhaps we get a chance to consider Art again, and uh, I told him before he died, I said, Art, you're a Hall of Famer, it's just a matter of time when enough of us come around and vote you in, but uh, I, I certainly think he's worthy, and if he talked to most owners in that period, I would think he would carry the vote pretty handily. I think they understood what he meant to the league. You know, you talk about all the owners that are moving teams. One thing I respect, Art, he, he left... The nickname, the colors, the marks. He left all the brown stuff in Cleveland and basically started over. That's the only franchise that said, that's your history, you keep it. I, I've always respected Art for that. Yeah, I, I, th- I think um, the, the, the people of Cleveland, obviously, will never accept anything good about Art Modell. And, and I kind of understand it, what we went through here in Baltimore as well when we lost the Colts. But I, I think that's a good point, Goose. That, that, that is a good point. And trust me, Art, Art Modell never wanted to leave Cleveland. Now, we can, we can take some shots at what kind of businessman Art was because he had financial difficulty and he wasn't going to survive in Cleveland. Once, once he bought the stadium and the city of Cleveland built a baseball stadium and he, he lost his tenant, because his tenant were, were the Indians who played 81 home games a year. Once he had that old municipal stadium and nobody playing in it except the Browns 8 to 10 games a year, he was in trouble financially. And he had to, he had to run around from bank to bank in Cleveland to get enough of, of a loan to be able to sign Andre Risen. Right. Uh, as a free agent shortly before they came to Baltimore. So he, he was in a bad situation. His heart was always in Cleveland. He didn't want to leave there, but um, it was either sell the team or get out where he could get some money and survive, and that's why he came to Baltimore. Right. Well, Scott, now I'm going to give you kind of a, a 
a hard sell guy, which doesn't mean he's not uh, deserving, but you'll, as soon as I mention his name, you'll know why he's a hard sell guy. Uh, Marshall, uh, Marshall Yanda. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, hard I agree. Lyman, but, but it's, it's, yeah, uh, let's, I would just tell him. Let, let's, uh, let's throw him in the pack. We've got those four guys that were voted from 15 to 10 this year. And none of them got in. He, he fit right yeah. in with that group. He, <laughs> yeah, he went to right. six straight Pro Bowls. Uh, he's a two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro. Pro Football Focus voted him the best guard in the NFL the last three years prior to last season. Last year, he left early with a broken foot. But he's been a guy that's lined up and played. As a matter of fact, two years ago, he was playing with a real bad shoulder injury. And he convinced the coaches that if they moved him from right guard to left guard, he could protect his bad shoulder better. And he gutted it out and played very well and scored high as a left guard two years ago. So um, six straight Pro Bowls, ranked the top guard by pro football focus three straight years. As a matter of fact, two years ago, the only players in the NFL that ranked higher than him, according to Pro Football Focus, were Matt Ryan, who was the MVP that year, and Tom Brady. So he's a top-level guard. I think if he comes back and plays at the level he's played, I think he's 32 now, but if another three or four years, he's certainly going to be in the conversation of uh, Hall of Fame eligible. Hey, Scott, I want to throw one more name at you, and we've got less than a minute here, but um, it, it's a stretch. But Jamal Lewis, I mean, he's a member of the 10,000-yard rushing club, had a 2,000-yard season. Any feeling about Jamal? Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he's, he's close, 10,000, average 4.2 a carry, better than guys like Rigo, the bus, Marcus Allen, Curtis Martin, uh, a 2,000-yard season. Uh, he had a... A heck of a career. Does he get in? I'm not sure, but I th- I, I, I'd sure like to see him in the room for conversation. Don't have to convince me, Scott. He was my fantasy football kicker the past two years. He's yeah, phenomenal. Money. He's phenomenal. Hey, Scott, much. Scott Garceau, thanks for the time. Thanks, Scott. Great talking thanks, to you guys. Scott. You got it. Be good. Thank you. That was Hall of Fame voter Scott Garceau of Baltimore's 105.7 The Fan. Up next is Hall of Famer Robert Brazil, class of 2018. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. There are two senior candidates going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this summer, and we had one of them, the former guard Jerry Kramer, on with us a week ago. But now, now we have the second, another guy who waited too long to reach Canton, and that's former Houston Oilers linebacker Robert Brazil, a.k.a. Dr. Doom. Maybe the best nickname we've ever heard. Anyway, Robert, congratulations, not just on reaching the Hall, but in proving, in proving that patience pays off. Great to have you back. Well, I'm so happy to be back, man. And y'all understand that this is such an honor. This is the ultimate. For I want everybody that plays football to feel like I do this evening. And for ever since I've been, you know, got that, that knock on the door, it's been a whole different Robert. It's a whole different feeling. And I wish that every football player that ever put a mouthpiece in his mouth get this feeling. <laughs> well, Robert, I, I'm going to ask you, you talked about a whole different Robert. What's the change in you now? And, and how big a deal is this to you now that it's finally over, that you're actually in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Well, uh, it, for me, it's such, such, a, uh, such a big deal. You know, uh, Kenneth Stabler, 
it lives across the water from where I live at in Mobile County. And to be the first Mobilian or the first guy from Pritchett or the first guy from Satsuma where I live at to be in, you know, to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame from a high school. Uh, it's got some of my, my parents are just, I can't even, my mama gonna be a preacher where she run up, in the, up and down the road, how to praise Jesus. Hello. Oh God, he's in. I mean, she, she's a big, <laughs> she, it, it is too big, man. And to be going in, you know, this is not just a class. This is a phenomenal class of guys that I'm going in. First with Jerry Kramer. You know, I, you know, I told his agent the other day, I said, when we was up there in, in Minnesota and then they had all the finances there and I was looking, I said, you know, ain't but one person I would give this up for is to let Jerry go in because of the waiting period and the time that he had been the finalist. But I wanted it so bad too, but I really believe I would just say, Jerry, you go instead of me. And the other, my other class members, man, we got three of the big, I mean, you got some hitters left there on defense. Ray Lewis. <laughs> Erlacher, and my faith and me, I hate for somebody to my, trying to block that or try to run against that. That's a hell of a defense right there. <laughs> we don't need no D-line. Just let us play. <laughs> hey, Robert, you, your, your former teammate and fellow Hall of Famer Kenny Houston once said you were LT before LT. So how the heck did Lawrence Taylor get a bus before you? <laughs> he played in New York City. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly. He played in New York City and he played one hell of a career of football. Lars deserves everything he got. Now, me and Lars have talked about this, and he's going to always pat me on the back that he wants to be like me. But after I got out of football and started watching films on this guy, I wanted to be like Lawrence. <laughs> so he took my game and put his game together. Hey, man, that's a, ooh. Uh, today we talked, just no longer today. I was asking Lawrence, I said, Lawrence, he said, welcome to the house, my brother. I'm glad I've been holding this bed for you for a long time to come in and rest. So with, with him giving me that kudos, and I'm, but Lawrence himself, y'all, deserve what Lawrence got before me. And Robert got his this year. And I'm happy for it. Well, I know uh, uh, we understand you wanted to see uh, uh, Lawrence when the two of you were at a sports memorabilia show of some sort in Houston a couple weekends ago uh, to thank him for all the things he had said about you prior to the election. Uh, did you guys get a chance to meet at that point? And, and uh, you know, very shortly, did he take, any, did he take credit short. for helping get you in? <laughs> Yeah, uh, very shortly he was running, trying to catch a flight, and I was trying to get all of my stuff done. It was one of the biggest shows that I participated in. When you've been out the league as long as I have, you don't get to go to the quote, quote, big tri-star signing show. So we were both busy. But we exchanged. We, I didn't have his telephone number. And he'd been there. I said, when you slow down off the golf course, give me a call. So he did today, and we've talked two or three times since then. I think what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to hit, hit, hit the circuit with Lawrence, myself, and just, just after all the questions that people want to ask us, sitting there in front of everybody, instead of me on one end and he on the other end, let's put me and Lawrence together and have a talk show or whatever we need to do. <laughs> 
We're speaking with Hall of Famer Robert Brazil, Canton Class of 2018. That sounds pretty good on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And Robert, um, Lawrence Taylor is in here, but I want to ask you a question. Once you said you weren't able to sleep since you became a finalist. Now, that was way back in August, so that's a lot of sleepless nights. How are you sleeping now? What's going on today? I'm not sleeping well now. Uh, <laughs> last night at 1.30, I get up to, uh, to get some water. And sitting at the computer is my wife. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm working on your speech. Get over here. (laughs) 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 And uh, I said, she said, the thing about your speech, Robert, you ain't going to have a problem doing it. It's the problem you're going to have is cutting it off. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be like some of the guys. She said, I know you're not going to be like it because I'm writing your speech for you. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the answer to your question, that is a lot of sleep is nice still because it's so much planning, so much uh, joy, so much time that me and her just sit and say, you finally got what you wanted. And I say, yeah, I got it. And the best thing I'm going to enjoy with you, my mother, my father, and all of my children, and all of my friends, you know, people that reached out, people like Amy Adams from uh, the Titans done reached out and congratulate. You wouldn't believe it. I got a meeting with the mayor. I got, I don't know, I'm just robbing. I like to go down to the creek and sit on the bank and fish. I don't like to go to all these functions. I got to watch my weight. <laughs> hey, hey, Robert, I, I got a saying, the longer the wait, the greater the appreciate. Does Do you think this honor means more to you now than it would have had it come 25 years ago? I, don't, I can't answer that question, but I can tell you what it feels like today. 25 years ago, I don't think I could have enjoyed it. I wasn't, like they say, uh, mature enough to enjoy it. I, today, I think that, you know, I've said this over and over again. The job that these selectors and committed people have to do to try to choose eight guys a year is phenomenally a hard job. And for me to see this process and for me to go through these years is giving me a ultimate feeling to say, oh, I got it. I finally got the knock on the door. And that said so much for me that, you know, football back years ago wasn't, didn't love me like they do right now. Football telling me right now, Robert, we appreciate what you did. We understand all the extra laps and all the sit-ups and all the push-ups and all the 40-yard dashes, all the up the hills with Walter, all running across town and going to the beach during your private workout. We appreciate all that for you. You have a place at the Hall of Fame, and you'll be there forever. And that's what it's saying right now. Robert, when, when that knock on the door came, obviously you think, as you mentioned, you, know, you think of your parents, you think of your, your wife and kids, your family. Uh, but was there somebody else who came to mind who maybe influenced you a lot uh, uh, as you were coming up as a football player that maybe the rest of the world doesn't know? Was there a coach or somebody that, that you thought of? Two people. Who, who helped you? Two people. Mm-hmm. It was two people I thought about. First of all, I thought about Bob Phillips how bad and how how much he wanted this for me. And for him to not to be there, but he was. You know, I had Bonds buckle on. 
And every time I just start to wear this buckle and all this stuff they tell me when I made the haul, uh, the finalists, I said, I'm not going to put that buckle on until it's time for me to go out there to get those old, other 80% of them votes and hope Bond can get the 80% with me to help me get in the Hall of Fame. And the other person is Walter Payton. You know, me and Walter did some things and we endured some things to try to be the best when we was in the NFL. I could thought about the night, the, the sleepless nights we had when when the head coach thought we was in in the dormitory sleep. We had sneaked out somewhere running or working out trying to better ourselves as athletes, man. So we paid the price to be the best. Hey, Robert, have you thought about who's going to present you? I know who's going to present me. My dad. My dad oh, is 85 years old, and his name is Robert Brazil Sr., and he's going to present me. What's his it's nickname? Such an honor. I've always said this from the beginning. I did not want to go. Uh, I wish that I could get into the hall by myself. I never told nobody this, but I wanted both of my parents, and both of them are both living. And for my dad to be up on that stage to present me, it would be the, it's, it's an ultimate dream come true. How many people are you expecting from Mobile at, at Canton this summer? Well, if you look at right now, I think my wife, we had the um, total of 200 that we can invite. Oh. And as of right now, I think it's over 170 people that have sent either their email or their, uh, their address for us to put on the invitation list. And people talking about taking bus loads, this class and that. You know, a lot of people don't, this high school that I went to, Viga High School, before me, that was Paul Crane. And after Paul Crane was Scott Hunter. And after Scott Hunter was Donald Reese. Then came Ricky Young and myself. And after that, we had 17 other people to either play one down in the NFL or put on the NFL jersey from that one high school. And that's unfair. People say it's the water down there we drank and swim in, but I don't know. I think it's the people down here praying and, and working out. <laughs> Hey, Robert, do you give a thought to the fact that you may be the last player from the Houston Oilers ever enshrined in Canton? I, I hope I'm not. I, uh, I think it's one other guy that needs to go in. And uh, I say this, if you talk about special teams, you're talking about Billy Washington Johnson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Billy was a phenomenal wide receiver, a phenomenal person, a good person, and a great, great special team guy. Couldn't nobody do what Billy did during the era that we had the Houston All Team, and I think he deserved to go in the Hall also. That's why you're in the Hall of Fame. That's why you're in the Hall of Fame, Robert Brazil. Thanks, thanks for the time. Congratulations again, and we'll see you this summer in Canton. Hey man, let me thank y'all again because you guys made it happen that Saturday morning. Y'all the one that made it happen for me and my family and my teammates. And kudos to all of y'all. If I could do anything for y'all. Please ask me. I, I'm going to give you an honest answer. Yes, I can do it. Or no, I cannot do it. Or I'm busy. Tickets to your party. <laughs> we want tickets yeah. to your party. Yeah, we'll be at your party. Your name will be there. I'm, I'm <laughs> there, Brenda, to make sure the whole Hall of Fame committee be at my party. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Robert. The only Thank thing about it, I hope y'all drink non-alcoholic beverages. I don't drink at all. Okay, we'll make it work. <laughs> you and me both. That was Hall of Fame linebacker Robert Bazile, a.k.a. Dr. Doom. Up next, it's Two Minute Drill. You're listening to the Talk Fame Network.
This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. We're just about out of time, so Robert, blow that whistle, will you please? That's the two-minute warning. Thank you very much. We needed that. We're on to the two-minute drill, and we're on to it now. So let's get going. It will now cost $400 to have the NFL's direct ticket package that includes all games in the Red Zone channel. You want into the Red Zone that badly, guys? You're going to have to ask my fantasy football partner, Ron. I was never in the Red Zone when it was cheap. (laughs) Can the Eagles repeat as Super Bowl champions? Yes, they can, but only if they keep Nick Foles. The better question is, can they repeat as NFC East champion? <laughs> Will the Patriots package draft picks to get in position to take a highly rated quarterback to back up young Tom Brady? No, sir. No reason to. The guy's going to play 20 more years. Only if head coach awaiting Josh McDaniels has his way in the draft room. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a high NFL highest paid quarterback after winning seven, count of seven games in his career. Did the 49ers get a bargain or did they lose their mind? Neither. They're gambling. He's no ordinary Joe, if you know what I mean, Ron. If you don't have a quarterback, you pay whatever it takes to get one. Will Hall of Fame voters continue to ignore older players and make more and more guys first ballot selections, as happened this year? Yes, sir. Latest is the greatest. If you played before the year 2000, your candidacy's in trouble. Speaking of what, should Jerry Kramer be grateful or angry at Hall of voters for putting him in on his 11th try at the age of 82? Grateful. Spent the previous 45 years being angry. Better late than never. <laughs> Eagles tackle Lane Johnson said he'd rather win one Super Bowl and play in a happy place like Philly than win five in the atmosphere in New England. And he now claims he's being inundated with hate mail from Boston. Anyone surprised by that? Yeah, Lane Johnson. Having traveled there often, I'd never have Philadelphia on my list of quote-unquote happiest places. <laughs> Eagles said Patterson lost both his quarterback coach and offensive coordinator before promoting Mike Grove to the latter position. Does it matter since Patterson calls the plays anyway? No, it matters who runs them. He just needs to make sure the techie's there in case the communication of the quarterback breaks down. Will John Gruden give Colin Kaepernick or Johnny Manziel a look in Oakland? Not unless he needs a circus act for Vegas. He's better off calling Brad Johnson. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Brian Erlacher, Robert Brazil, Ray Rado, and Scott Garceau for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, go to our website, that'd be talkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here, and we hope you will be too.